you know what time it is. It is time for the Dirt Bike Channel podcast. And I'm, uh, I've got a different type of podcast today. This is going to be a quick hitter podcast. I love the types of podcasts that just get right into it. I kind of go skipping through the commercials. If somebody's got a bunch of commercials at the beginning of their podcast, I kind of skip through it. So I'm going to just jump right into this. Today, I'm giving you 19 quick hitters. This is a podcast idea that came from uh, Doug from Ohio. Uh, people email me uh, podcast topics and video topics all the time. If I like them, I put them kind of in my pile. This is a pile that I put in there from Doug. And he's like, hey, why don't you do a quick hitting podcast where you spend 30 or 60 seconds on each topic and just kind of give us your thoughts. Now, if I was like, if I was a better planner and, and more of a <laughs> more of a true professional, I would grab one of my buddies and, and we would just go through these things. And I probably will do that in the future too. But because... I'm here alone today in my basement office. I'm going to go through these things. So let's let's just jump right into it. And I'm literally just going in the exact order that Doug sent them to me. He sent like, hey, let's why don't you talk about all, those, all these things? So there's 19 things here. Uh, the first thing that he asked is like, when to change your front tire? How to tell when it's time to change it out? Uh, many videos and podcasts focus on the rear, but nobody really discusses the front. So he's saying, when's it, how do you know it's time to change the front tire? So for me, the big thing, if I'm going to look at somebody's front tire is just the side knobs, you know, to me, the side knobs are really where it's all, where it's all about. I mean, the, the, the tire is going to be able to go forward. It, it gets traction. It, the traction on the front tire is different than what you are looking for in the rear, you know? Uh, but for me, I'm just looking for any like breakdown or, you know, chunking of the knobs. And if, if there are any side knobs that are starting to break off or starting to peel away, man, the tire is done for me. And honestly, I don't think I go, I, I just personally don't ever go with more than 30 hours on a front tire. And more often than not, I'm changing the front tire in conjunction with the rear tire. It just kind of depends. It depends on how long I go with the rear tire, but I'm I'm a, as many of you know, I'm a super uh, fan of the gummy rear tires. And so that means I'm usually only going between 15 and 25 hours on the rear tire. And, and so I'm not going to go much longer than that on the front tire. I can go 20. I'm probably averaging 20 hours on the front tires, um, but never more than 30 <clears throat> is kind of how I do that. And I look for the side knobs. Number two, uh, the next thing was how to pick up your bike. Doug said he drops his a lot and he struggles to pick it up using the least amount of energy. This happens all the time. You know, it's funny too, because when I first started moving motorcycles around 10 years ago, I, I felt like they were so, so awkward and heavy. And now they're less awkward and it doesn't feel like it's as heavy to me. But I mean, I don't, I don't have any specific super big tricks, but depends on where I lay it down or something, but I'll just go over there, grab the handlebars, grab kind of down by the, you know, your handle or down by where the levers are, where it's the lowest of the ground, and then just get under the thing, get my back straight, and just lift, try to lift with my legs. And that's, that's what I do. Um, and you can, obviously, if you've tipped it over, then, you know, it's hard, but you want to get underneath the bike as far as you can. You don't want to lift, you don't want to have to bend over the bike and kind of try to pull it up towards you. Most of the time, you want to get on the other side of the bike, where it's as low to the ground as possible, and then just, you know, get that, use both hands, use both hands, grab the, grab the handle down there right by the ground and just, you know, lift it up. And the first few inches is the heaviest. And then cause it acts as like a lever. And as the bike gets higher, you're not lifting nearly as much of it. So it's hardest when it's, you know, closer to the ground, obviously. 
Uh, next thing that he brings up is chain tension. He brings up the whole three finger approach. <laughs> if you guys know what that is or a tension gauge. Uh, Doug says he uses three fingers, but maybe the gauge is the way to go. So yes, I have found that if you use that three finger gauge, I mean, honestly, everyone's fingers are different. Where did this come from? I don't know, but I feel like if I'm going to use my three finger gauge, usually it's too much slack. And the other thing is you got to check the chain tension at various spots on the chain because some of the chain, some parts of the chain typically are longer than others. So when I really want to do a good job, I just get a set of, you know, calipers um, and I measure that your manual will have like a spec. It might be like 55 millimeters or something like that. And there's a specific spot you're supposed to measure from. And so when I'm setting the bikes up uh, for the first time, I use a set of calipers. I know that the chain might stretch just a little bit. If it's a good chain, it won't stretch a lot. We're going to get to that later because he ha- he brings up another thing, but I'm more of a gauge type person. And then I use my three finger <laughs> approach just if I'm super lazy. So um, the next the next thing he has is how to clean and prevent stinky helmets and boots. So Doug says he hoses his helmet off when he's out, um, but my boots stink. Uh, so here's what I do. Like, um, first off, I use two different helmets. Typically speaking, I have two helmets that I kind of rotate through and that helps. I know that's expensive and I know not everyone can do that, but I, then I've got a backup helmet all the time, you know, because sometimes like something might happen to your helmet. You might leave it at home or you might, it might get dropped or you might break it or, you know, you have a really good get off or something. And, and I don't want to be without a helmet. So I've always, I try to have two. In fact, I, I have more than two that I could ride, but I have two main helmets that I use and that really helps. And then I just tear the helmet apart. You know, you take the, you know, the inner padding out of the helmet a couple times a year and just clean that with soap and water right in my sink. I don't put them through the wash. I just, I, to be honest, I'm just using dish soap. Maybe that's the wrong thing, but I just use a little bit of dish soap and just rub it into, you know, the material and into the foam. And I'm just there under the sink and stuff and just, you know, really rinsing it out and everything and then let it dry and put that together. And so I'm doing that, you know, probably four times a year, uh, twice on each helmet or something, you know, something like that. Just I just, if it starts to get really stinky and, you know, you can see it's getting all crusty from the sweat and everything from your head. You know, what's interesting too is now that I, you know, shave my head, I swear I sweat more and maybe, or maybe I don't sweat more, but it just all goes in the helmet. My helmet is always like completely soaked. So <laughs> sweat, but I'm just doing that, you know, a couple times a year. I don't have a deodorizer, deodorizer that I use in the helmet, but I do use that for the boots. So I have a product that I buy on, I bought it. I think I'm buying it on Amazon. Um, it is called, and I put, I looked it up here before I did the podcast, it's this, uh, it's this product on Amazon called Rocket Pure Odor Control for Feet, Shoes, and Gym Gear. So it's kind of like a natural foot shoe deodorizer spray. It has its peppermint and eucalyptus. You just spray, you know, go shake the thing up a little bit and go spritz, spritz inside your boots. And it makes them smell, you know, like peppermint. It really just fights the, uh, you know, fights the, I guess, the bacteria or whatever they're that are making that bad smell. And so I really like that stuff. It's about, I look, I'm looking at it right now. It's $12.90 on Amazon, free shipping. It's prime. Again, it's by Rocket Pure. So it's, it just, it's kind of like a little white bottle comes in a four ounce bottle. And I, I'm not, my feet usually don't stink a lot. Some boots are worse than others. I feel like my Fox boots were always bad. 
Um, I don't know why, just the materials that they use in there, whereas my Garnets and my CDs haven't been as bad. Uh, but yeah, that Rocket Pure stuff is something that I use, and I, I think that would help if you want to uh, check that stuff out. So if, if you And if you need links for this, uh, you can always email me and I can send you these links. And, and by the way, speaking of links, hey, I'm, I'm a little over eight minutes into this. I can do, I can do a little commercial for myself now. If you want to support, support Dirtbike Channel, one of the best ways that you can do it, and it doesn't cost you anything, is to use my links for Rocky Mountain ATV and Motorsport and Amazon. I have links for Amazon. Even the, You can buy this Rocket Pure and I can send you a link. Um, but I have links over on my website, dirtbikechannel.com. If you go to the links section, there's all kinds of links in there. You can, you know, bookmark those for Rocky Mountain ATV, Motorsport, Amazon. And uh, that really, really helps me out. Doesn't cost you a single thing. It only helps me. And so I feel really good about that. So use my links for Rocky Mountain ATV. Uh, also, if you're listening to this before, what, uh, you know, Jan or June 30th of this year in 2021, I've got three motorcycles I'm giving away. So have you entered to win those motorcycles? If you haven't, go to my website, dirtbikechannel.com. You can pick yourself up some, up some gear. You can subscribe to my SMS list. Uh, you can send in a postcard because, of course, no purchase is necessary to win these machines. But uh, there's three motorcycles up for grabs. Kawasaki KX250X, KTM 125XC, and a KTM 1290 Super Adventure S. So a big old awesome you know, street bike. Adventure bike, but mostly street bike. And... Uh, so yeah, that's my plug there. So next question is, how often should I really change my oil? You know, he says manufacturer's recommendation seems too long an interval. So I wonder which one you're looking at, Doug, because maybe you're looking at like uh, gear oil changes on like a KTM because that they do say in a lot of those manuals to go like you can go 40 hours. In the other manuals for like four strokes and different things, Kawasaki, Yamaha, Honda, KTM, they're having really, really short oil change intervals for the four strokes. And so, you know, he's saying, how often should I change my oil? Obviously, there's no one size fits all answer here, but here's my theory. Number one, I'm going to change the oil more often on a four stroke than I am a two stroke. And that's because the four stroke oil typically is doing two different things. It's lubricating the oil and it's lubricating the clutch slash transmission I mean, it's lubricating the motor, the, all the hot spot, the hot parts, hot parts of the motor, and and it's also lubricating the transmission and clutch. The where all the heat comes from on that is in your actual engine, in your top end and your bottom end, and it gets really, really hot, and it breaks that oil down faster because of that. So the oil is kind of doing double duty in that way. Um, on a two-stroke, it's not doing double duty as much. It's only lubricating the transmission and the clutch. And so by comparison, it stays much cooler, relatively speaking, on the two-stroke. And so it doesn't break down as fast. Um, so that's my first thing is I'm going to change it more on my four-strokes and less on my two-strokes, just generally. But then the other thing is I just gauge this by how hard my rides are and how hard they've been. Re just recently, this last week, I did four oil changes. I had three oil changes on my KTM two strokes and one oil change on my, on my four stroke. And the one that came out the cleanest by far, they had all actually weird thing. They'd all almost gone 10 hours on oil, on oil changes, uh, all of them. And the one that came out the cleanest was the Kawasaki uh, four stroke. And the reason for that is I have not beat that clutch at all. I haven't done anything super technical on that bike at all. And so the, the oil came out super clean 
and I, it hadn't actually gone 10 hours. I think it had gone eight. I have to go look at my maintenance logs, um, but it came out super clean. The ones that were the dirtiest ones were the ones out of the KTM two, the, the 250 and the 300. Normally, I would ride those bikes for two to five hours and then change the gear oil. But for whatever reason, I didn't do it this time. And so all three of those bikes went 10 hours and then they got their first gear oil change. I haven't ridden a lot this year. And so really all I've ridden so far this year is about uh, 50 hours, somewhere around there, 50 hours since, you know, in this year. And here we are, you know, two thirds of the way through May. And so I haven't actually ridden a ton. And technically that started back in December. So in six full months, I've only ridden 45, 50 hours. Anyway, the point is this, um, I'm splitting time on all these bikes. And so, um, typically I would go on a two stroke. I would go anywhere from two hours to five hours when it's brand new. And then I would just change it, change it right then. And then I kind of start a clock in my head, keep track of the rides. And I might go, you know, I have gone 40 hours after that. There have been many times I've done that because each one of the rides have been not very demanding at all. Um, more and more now, my rides are becoming more and more demanding on the clutch and I'm, I'm getting more, you know, I'm dragging the clutch a lot more and everything. And so the oil breaks down faster. And so all three of these bikes, well, the 250 and the 300, the oil came out pretty black. Um, it, it didn't look super great. And when I'm like, okay, that was a little bit too long. I should have done a break in oil change and then gone 10 more hours. But you know, I was just busy and had other things on my mind. The 125 XC, it had the same amount of hours, 10, 11 hours on, on it. And the, the oil came out looking much better. And that tells me right there. It's just, it's about how hard you ride these bikes, you know, because I'd ridden the two, the 300 and the 250, the hardest with the most amount of clutch work and dragging and all that dragging the clutch and all that stuff. And they came out looking dark and the 125 came out looking lighter and the 254 stroke, the Kawasaki, I must be baby in that sucker. Cause it came out looking, you know, pristine, not pristine, but it came out looking the best of all of them. Okay. So that's uh, how, what I, what my thoughts are on oil changes. Um, how often next thing that Doug brings up is how often do I clean my air filter every ride, every 10 hours? Um, this is another one that I play by ear and I just look at the freaking thing. You know, the truth is some of my rides, a lot of times I go out by myself, maybe I'm filming or whatever, taking it easy and they don't even get any dust on them. You know, sometimes I also know some people that, you know, are maybe up in the Pacific Northwest or whatever. And they say they, they never have dust, you know, and they just, they just eventually the, the air filters just get crusty and, and nasty, <laughs> but they never fill up with, they never fill up with dust. And so, but here in Utah, they're, they're always getting super dusty because it's always, you know, dry and, and dusty. So I will just look at it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I can go five rides on it and it, and it's still fine. Other times I go one ride on it and then I need to change or, you know, change out the air filter, clean it. And so I usually just keep, I've got several air filters um, for the bikes that I ride, I've got at least two filters for every motorcycle typically. Um, and then I just, you know, have a clean one ready to go. And if it looks bad, you know, after a ride, in fact, a lot of times I'll do it right before a ride. If I know I'm riding tomorrow, I walk out to the bikes and make sure everything's good. I've already cleaned them and everything. And I'm like, Oh, look, dirty filter and boom, slapping a new filter and then go. So that's kind of my deal there. It has nothing to do with how, um, you know, how long I I've been between them. It just depends on how dirty they are. Moving on. How often 
to change your chain and your sprockets. So the thing I would say here is that I've said this before. Mechanics have told me this and, you know, old time dirt bike people have told me this. And I think it's probably true. It's best to change your sprockets and your chain together. All three of them, front sprocket, rear sprocket, chain. Best practice would be to change them all together. Now, I don't do that all the time because sometimes I'm changing sprockets to see if I can, you know, find a sweet spot in gearing. Oftentimes, though, I find that I end up back to stock because for whatever thing I gained from either, you know, going smaller or bigger, I gave something else up on the other side. And as it turns out, typically these companies are doing a lot of R&D with these things and they're like, this will probably fit the best, the widest variety of people over the widest variety of terrain. And so I usually end up back at stock, to be honest. But the question is, how often do you change your sprockets? So if you have a good O-ring chain, I think you can typically go 100 hours on that chain. If you keep it clean, you don't have to throw a bunch of chain lube on there, but you just keep it clean. If you want to put some 80, 90 gear oil on that thing, I just try to keep them dang clean and keep them from rusting. I can do that with uh, WD-40. I can do that with a little 80, 90 gear oil. Um, And you can typically go right around 100 hours. I've done it several times. If you have a really crappy chain, it's not going to last you long at all. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, My KX250X, it came with a really, really crappy chain. And I only got about three, four hours out of that thing. It was stretching so much that I replaced it. It was somewhere between two and four hours. It was the worst chain I've had on a motorcycle yet on that Kawasaki. And so it was super crappy and I changed it inside of five hours. Um, but that's, uh, that's, you know, not normal. I think you, most of the other dirt bikes are coming with decent chains on them. The KTMs all come with good chains. My Yamahas have come with good chains. So I don't know what was going on with that Kawasaki. They put a really, really crappy cheap chain on it and it didn't last at all. You know, if you get a good sprocket and I'm not, I'm not, I mean, they have all types of sprockets where they've got, you know, the, the aluminum ones that have steel on the outside, super nice sprockets that can go a long time to be completely honest. Sprockets aren't that much money. It's like eight, 10, 12 bucks for a front sprocket and 30 to 50 bucks for a rear sprocket and 60, 75, you know, hundred dollars tops on the chain. I mean, you can change, you can swap all of these parts out for $150, which I think is pretty cheap. And even if it, even if you had to change it every 50 hours, that's actually pretty cheap maintenance. And I think you can go longer than that up to a hundred hours for sure. Just look at your, your teeth on the sprockets. And if it starts to get cupped out in any way, if any of those teeth are not looking symmetrical from one side to the next, it's time to change them, you know? And so you can go do that. Uh, next, uh, thing up here was engine ice versus regular antifreeze which is best or worth the expense. So here's here for me in my very unscientific tests, I feel like, and and the main way that I'm just checking this is I have the digital, um, you know, fans, the radiator fans that have the digital readout on them. Um, that's typically the only way that I have to gauge this. It does seem like to me that the engine ice product, it's a radi, it's an antifreeze product. It does seem like to me, it does keep the engine, a couple degrees cooler than you would with regular antifreeze. I've never put the other thing is like, or what about water? I don't ever just put straight water in there. I mean, I live in too cold of an environment. I don't want to have to be wondering or worrying about this. Um, but yeah, the engine ice I've found really good. There is another, 
uh, antifreeze that I'm not going to mention here that some people have said, oh, this is amazing and it keeps your engine way, way, way cooler or, or it just, what it, what it does is it doesn't boil for, it, it uh, has like a really higher, high boiling point. I don't want to drag them through the mud here or anything, but maybe you guys know what I'm talking about. I've had several people tell me that that is not good for your motor because, okay, so it doesn't boil, but your motor is still getting way hotter and you don't even know. And so you can end up pushing the motor too hard. You know, by the time the, the bike is um, overheating and pushing coolant out, you should probably give it a rest. That's just my little thought on that. If you have a radiator fan, it really, really helps and it helps the bike to stay cooler. But I do think Engine Ice is great. I don't even know exactly what it costs versus the other types of antifreeze, but it's not a lot. You're not using a lot of this stuff. And so uh, I'm not spending a ton, a crap ton of money on like auto clutches and left-hand brakes and, and a, a billion other things that you can put on these bikes. And so I'm saving a ton of money that I can put towards gas and tires and a little bit of engine ice. And I think that that is the better way to go. Uh, next thing up is uh, what maintenance is typically overdone or done too often? Now, I spent just a couple minutes thinking about this and... The only thing that really came to mind of a maintenance item that people are doing too often, um, and we'll go to the flip side of this um, because he also asked what is not done enough, but what do I think is something that gets done too often? I often hear about people coming over to two strokes because they've done, they've been on four strokes and then they do their oil or their gear oil changes at the same types of intervals. And a lot of these, a lot of guys out there are really staying on top of things where they'll change their engine oil after every ride, or let's just say every two engine hours, maybe up to five engine hours on their four stroke. And they were very diligent at that and did it a lot. Um, and those, and a lot of those people, they'll come over to their, uh, you know, a two stroke first one, and they are doing their gear oil changes at the same intervals as they did on the four strokes. And while you're not hurting anything, I just kind of think you're throwing your money away. I think it's totally, it's total overkill. I do, especially the way that I'm riding with the types of rides that we're doing and stuff. If you see it, even if you're, even if you do like crazy, super gnarly ride, I mean, you can go more than two hours or three or four hours on that oil. And so I think that's the one thing that I could think of that gets overdone is if people come over from a four stroke to the two stroke land and they decide to do the same types of intervals there. I think that's too much. Not going to hurt anything, but you know, that was a question. So then the follow-up to it is what maintenance is typically underdone or AK or also, you know, not done enough. So this one, I'm pretty passionate. I've got a few things here, but I want to talk about this one first. Tires. They are not done enough. People run tires way too long. I look at, I, I'm, I'll be driving down the freeway and I'm looking at motorcycles everywhere. And I often see a dirt bike or two dirt bikes in the back of a truck. And <laughs> the tire is like, they're running them too long. Everything is completely worn down. Now, sometimes my tires don't look that great because they're gummy tires. But hey, if you've got a gummy tire and I can pretty much tell which ones are the gummy tires. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to fault a guy for having a gummy tire that like is, you know, worn down a lot. But by the time it gets bald, dude, it's time to change it. And if you got a regular compound tire, it doesn't have to get anywhere near bald. And the thing is not performing. It sucks. You, people are running tires way too long. They're not changing them nearly enough. And oftentimes you're driving around in a brand new truck 
or you got a brand new dirt bike and you've got a, you know, super awesome, like all these accessories on them. I can't tell. It's like all the, it's the people you've got a million accessories that you put on this bike. All the little things, all the little doodads, all the little, you know, bling parts and everything. And now you got this tire that is way too worn out front and rear. It's way easier for me to see if the rear tire is bad because you can see it from a mile away. It's harder to tell if the front tires been too long, but I'm telling you, they run them way too often or way too long. That is the thing that I think that people do the worst, uh, the worst, you know, the worst offenders of this are the people who are not changing their tires soon enough or, you know, uh, as, as often as they should. And some of that is because I think, I think it's mostly because tires are hard to change. Sometimes for people, you have to kind of break through. And especially if you're putting moose bibs in these tires, moose bibs are hard to put in. It's, it's still hard for me to put a moose bib in. I'm, I suck at it. Um, and, and there's, I've, I've got to get some more training on that. Uh, but if you're, if you can't do your own tires and change your own tires in your own garage or your own shop, you're going to run them way too long. Cause now you got to like take the bike somewhere and pay a shop to do it. And it's just extra time and extra expense. And then, so you, it doesn't get done enough. The next thing is suspension oil changes. Now I'm also a, you know, a, um, an offender of this one here, suspension oil. I mean, if you talk to a suspension shop, they're going to tell you anywhere between 20 and 40 hours, and then you need to change fluids in there. That's what they'll tell you. That's their business, and, and that's cool. I, I do think that if you're going more than 75 hours, it's definitely time to change the oil in your suspension. And I mean, maybe for me, it'd probably be better if I did it around every 50 hours, and I don't typically do that. It's expensive. You know, you got to have either the special tools at your house, which I still don't have. I still don't have the the tools uh, that I need to tear down my my forks. I'll just be honest with you. I don't do it. I pay a shop to do it. I like to take my suspension down to Moto Experts and have those guys do them, you know. But you find somebody local to you and uh, make sure they're not going to take you for a ride and say, hey, I just want my suspension service, new for- new seals and new oil. That's something that I think people don't do nearly enough excuse me, taking a little drink of my, uh, my Coca-Cola here. The next thing I think people, uh, don't do often enough is, uh, flush out brake and clutch fluid. Um, and I also am guilty of this. I think you should do this every 50 hours. And I think people don't, I think people are going hundred, 150 hours, 200 hours. It'll work better. Everything will work better. If you have clean, fresh fluid in there, you know, especially on the brake, the brakes, they, they can get hot, especially if you're a brake dragger, you know, if you, if you don't have your, if you have your brake pedal on, especially your foot brake, your rear brake adjusted a little bit too high, sometimes you can drag the brake and not even really notice it. And you will boil that brake fluid and it is not good. And then you get brake fade. So that's something that people don't do enough. And then my last thing that I think people don't do enough is just not lube the pivot points on their clutch and brake levers. I hate it when I get on somebody's bike. I don't like chew them out or whatever, but I get on people's bikes. I grab their, you know, their clutch and their brake and it's like, oh man, this is really hard to move. And you can tell that those pivot points are just totally dry. And so I think and it's not hard, you know, you just put a little, take it apart, clean that stuff up, put a little uh, grease on there. And it goes a long way. So those are the things I think that people uh, don't do often enough or neglected a little bit too much. 
Uh, next thing, moving on. What is your biggest writing regret? So uh, Doug says that for him, it was it was that he waited too long to start. So he said that he waited until 54 years old to start riding dirt. For me, I think I'm with you. I think mine was waiting until I was 30 to start. So I've been riding now for about 10 years. I just turned 40 just recently. Um, this month, in fact, I'm a May birthday. And uh, so I'm halfway there. I'm halfway dead. <laughs> I just went over the hill, but I do feel like there's some real, I feel like my best years are still ahead of me. Uh, maybe I'm an optimist, but I think there's some amazing time ahead. And I think that my biggest regret is that I waited until I was 30. I should have started this when I was 10. I, I had, I had access to some motorcycles, uh, but they were more dual sport motorcycles and I should have just gotten a job and, and gotten my own. When I turned uh, 16, I started working outside the house and I got a job at a service station pumping gas and, and fixing tires and changing tires. And I bought a Yamaha Banshee, you know, and got a loan on it or whatever and was paying that payment. And I that should have been a dirt bike. It just should have been instead of a, a four-wheeler. It was a two-stroke. That was that was my first two-stroke. You know, the the three the Banshee was a 350 twin or whatever. Fun machine. Um, but that, it should have been a dirt bike. I was scared. I was scared of him. I had a buddy. Scott uh, was one of my, well, he was my best buddy back at the time. And and uh, he had, between Scott and Cody, you know who you are, Cody Braithwaite, my cousin. Uh, Scott had these little motorcycles and I was scared of them. They were these little hot-blooded two-strokes and, and it scared me. And then the other bikes that I had access to ride, my dad's bikes were big and heavy and I was scared of riding them. And so that's my biggest regret. I waited until I was 30, way too long. Had all these people telling me like, oh, dirt bikes are so much more fun than four wheelers. And I just couldn't see it, but it was still always resonating in my head. So finally at 29 or 30, I'm like, oh, I'm going to try this. And man, they were right. Uh, Doug says, what is your biggest riding success? Um, and he says that his is not an obstacle or a race, but it's getting to spend more time with his son when he rides together. For me, I think my biggest riding success is just this general idea of the confidence and overall progression that I've been able to see throughout my riding. So I'm not a, I don't race. I haven't even entered any races. It just, I never even wanted to, you know, I might enter a race only to kind of get the monkey off my back and be able to say that I've done it or whatever. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have fun as much as I can. I'm not going to go out there hating it, but, but it's just this overall confidence and progression that I've seen in my writing over the years, you know, and there have been, you know, setbacks and there have been, you know, cool things that have happened. And, and I'm, I'm kind of looking there and going, well, at what point do I want to at what point is enough enough where I don't, you know, risk versus reward and things. And, and I do start to look at some of those things now and I'm like, yeah, I see some of my buddies do something and I'm like, well, that's cool that they can do that. And I could probably do it, but what, you know, what if I fell off that? And so it's just one of those things, you know, and, but I think the biggest thing, biggest riding success is just the amount of, the amount of confidence and progression that I've made in 10 years. And I'm pretty proud of that. So that's my biggest riding success. So the next thing Doug says is when to upgrade to a new bike or how can I justify the cost of a new hundred, a new 300 XCW to my wife? So, I mean, I've done podcasts on this. I actually had my wife down here and we did, we've done, uh, talked about this. Like what are some of the reasons why, you know, it's okay or, or some of the justifications for getting a motorcycle or getting a dirt bike. 
So you can go back through and look at those things, but I mean, just at the the nuts and bolts of it is, I mean, these bikes keep us out of trouble. There's, you know, in order to do this sport, it takes a lot of commitment. You're going to have to, you know, watch what you eat. You're going to have to be in better shape. Um, and it just keeps you from going out there and doing other things. It's so addictive. It's so addictive that it kind of takes over your life. At least it did me maybe. And it doesn't for everybody, but it keeps you out of trouble. And then I would also say that it's not as expensive as you think. The hardest part is getting that first bike, like dropping down that 10, 11 grand, whatever it is. I mean, some of the time you're writing a $12,000 check for this motorcycle. I, I'm, doing, I'm doing that now. They used to be $8,000 checks. Now they're $12,000 checks and it sucks. But everything has gone up. Everything goes up and then you can get a ton of your money back out of it. Like right now, if you can find a motorcycle, you know, when you go around to sell it a year, two, three years down the road, people are ready to beat down your door to buy that thing for more money than ever. And so we're not losing a ton of money on these bikes. Obviously, it's not an asset that appreciates, but it doesn't drop nearly as much as what people think. And you can get a lot of your money back out of it. Now, the gear, helmets, and all this other stuff, no, it's not going to be easy to get your money out of those things. But the actual motorcycles, as long as you're not blowing your wad on a bunch of aftermarket parts that you don't need to make the bike look cooler. And hey, if you want to do that, that's fine. But it isn't as expensive as you might think, um, especially if you compare it to other, other sports. You know, like with golf, it's okay. So your golf clubs are two grand or whatever they are. So it's not as much, but then every time you go out and golf, it's way, it's more expensive than dirt biking. You're spending all these green fees and cart fees and all this stuff. It's super expensive to play golf. It's super expensive to do all these other things, you know, boating and whatever else, snowmobiling. This is an expensive sport, but it isn't that, you know, once you get to, you know, a point in your life where you have a little bit of a disposable income. It's cheaper than razors, you know, <laughs> my gosh, don't get me started on that. Anyway, so it's not as expensive as you think, and it really can help you as a man, help you get in shape, help you all stay out of trouble. So those are my thoughts on that. Uh, best or favorite gloves, riding gloves, protection versus feel. I am more of a guy that I, I side more on the feel versus protection. That's just me. I feel like if I get a lot of like protective things over my knuckles, it just, you know, on the gloves, like they have different things and and maybe there's a cool one out there that I haven't tried yet. I'm sure there is some great protective glove, but I, it just kind of hurts my hands. After a while, my hands start to ache and it cuts. Sometimes it cuts circulation off or something and I just don't love it. And so I like a really thin glove with not a whole lot on them. And more and more, I mean, I don't even like to have like Velcro. I've got all types of different gloves, but I kind of like a glove that you just pull on and it fits on your hand really thin. I'm, gonna, I'm actually having uh, these gloves made and very, very soon I should have them up on my website, up on my website, dirtbikechannel.com. I think they're coming now and uh, just kind of pattern it off of a really simple design that I like and... Yeah. So I, I bought a bunch of gloves and if you guys don't buy those gloves, guess what? I'll never need to buy another set of gloves the entire time because I had to have several hundred of them, several, several hundred pairs made. And so, yeah, I, my, the, my favorite gloves are like less is more on gloves for me for riding. You know, you want to look, you obviously you want a little bit of protection, but just that extra layer of, you know, fabric and then the, the leather on the palms, that's all I really need, you know? So, uh, the next thing is how long do you plan to ride? And, uh, Doug says that he is planning to ride and tell, what does he say? My plan is, 
until I can no longer swing a leg over the bike. So here's my thought on that one. I think Doug, that if you, if we continue to like take care of our bodies and to continue to be active and move stuff around, I have ridden with guys that are like 85. I think he was, I went on a ride once and I think I had like a 75 year old and an 80 year old, 82, 85. I can't remember exactly, but the guy was super fast. And the point is, if you stay active, you can still do this. You know, and so my plan is to ride until I'm at least 80. And I also plan on dying right around that time. I've said, I say it to my wife all the time. I'm like, I don't want to live past 80. I just see, I've seen too many people between 80 and 90 that are just miserable. And I mean, I'm going to, hopefully I'll be able to take care of my body enough to where, you know, I have a really, you know, my dad's really healthy. My dad is 66, 67. I can't remember. And he's very active and very healthy. And hopefully I will be that same way too. And I plan on riding as long as possible. Obviously you're going to have to tone it down and that's fine. It's fine to adjust your, your riding and like, like other things in your life. Get another drink of this beverage here. Um, but yeah, sometime around 80 and then, and then kicking the bucket. I'm literally halfway there guys. I just, turn 40. So I'm halfway to my, my deathbed. Uh, then we're moving down here. We're getting, we're getting into the, into the, the, the last part of this. So how, uh, actually how, what do you wish you were better at? Doug says for me, it's standing more while climbing Hills. He says, seems my default position. Once it gets steep is to sit. Okay. That I get it. I get it. You know, stand a little bit more. Sometimes you do need to sit for traction though, Doug, just FYI. Um, so you gotta, it just depends for me. What, what do I wish I was better at? It's cornering. It's simply, it's just cornering, you know, getting down into a rut and fall, like staying in a rut and cornering. it. And so I'm slowly getting better, slowly working on that. I need to do more of that, but yeah, I just say, what is it? What is it that I wish I was better at? And it's cornering because I think it's just kind of a big blind spot in my regimen and in my writing. Sometimes I corner. Okay. But most of the time I'm standing up. And so I, the, most of the time the corners, they're more like flowing turns. And so it's not necessarily a corner. If you do motocross tracks, which I haven't done really any of yet, um, you're doing corners all the time. For me, I don't do that nearly enough. I don't practice cornering enough. And so I need to do that. Uh, next thing is tubeless versus moose. So for me, straight up tubeless just wins. It wins because I like the performance gains that I can get by going super low pressures on my tires. But moose bibs certainly have some advantages, especially in the competition realm, because typically speaking, you don't get a failure with a moose bib. You're not going to get a flat. You can have them fail. We've seen it happen multiple times in competitions where rim locks fail or tires just come completely off the bikes, off the rims. And when that happens, it is the worst possible thing. It's like if a, if a bib fails, it's way worse than if you just get a flat with a tube or if you get a flat with tubeless, it just is. So if bibs fail, it's catastrophic, but they usually don't fail. And so that's cool. But for me, I just love the, uh, the ability to adjust pressure and drop pressure and run zero PSI in my rear tire. If I want to get up some, you know, tricky section, I like that, um, flexibility. And since I am not being paid to ride motorcycles where I have to pay to get on some podium or whatever, I run tubeless. If, if my livelihood depended on me or if my ego depended on me podying, like getting some result at the end of some race at the end of some season, then yeah, I probably would run mooses because at least then 
you know, you're probably not going to have a failure. But for me, tubeless is way to go. I'm a hobbyist, you know, so it works for me. Um, second to last thing, if it wasn't dirt biking, what would it be? And uh, Doug says for me, cycling more. So he would do cycling for me, Doug. I would, I mean, there's a lot of things, but the two things that pop up into my head, the, just the first were shooting guns more or flying airplanes. You know, I, I, at some point I would like to get back into my flying. Um, it was my first love. I mean, so to speak, but yeah, so I'd like to, I'd probably be shooting guns more or, or flying airplanes. Maybe I would be a part owner in an airplane. Um, that's expensive. <laughs> Makes dirt bikes seem really cheap if you've ever looked at the cost. I mean, it's not just buying an airplane. It's it's the cost of ownership and the, and the, the running and the maintenance and all that stuff. It's just insane expensive. So yeah, and then last one, last one, Doug, and he's from uh, Ohio, and he says, ever to plan, ever plan to come east and ride our muck, roots, clay, and mud? And the answer is yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ideally, I would like to ride all over this nation, and then bucket list that I haven't really put down as a bucket list I like thing, but it's just kind of in the back of my mind is I would like to I would like to ride on motor, motorcycles on six out of the seven continents. I, I don't have to ride down in Antarctica, but I would like to ride, you know, everywhere. I'd like to ride in Canada. I'd like to ride in Alaska. I would like to ride in South America, Argentina. You know, I'd like to ride in Africa. I would like to ride in Europe and Asia and everywhere. I would like to at least put a little, a few miles all over the earth. That would be cool. I'm really spoiled though, because here in the Western United States, we have some of the best riding in the entire world and a lot of variety. And I know that because I get emails and comments about it all the time, all the time from all over the world. You know, it doesn't matter. I get messages from guys in Israel or I get messages from guys in Japan or Hawaii or, you know, you know, Massachusetts, New York, Florida, Georgia, Ohio. I get messages from all over saying like, man, I wish I had, I wish I could have, you know, do some of the riding that you guys do there in Utah. And we're pretty blessed out here in the Western United States for some of the terrain that we have. So yes, I would like to come ride Ohio at some point. I would like to ride the Northeast. I'd like, like to ride the Southwest. I'd like to ride the deep South, you know, lots of cool places like to ride along the ocean or like to ride in Mexico, a lot of places I'd like to go. And eventually I will, you know, so those, but, uh, gotta, you know, take it one, one step at a time there. So anyway, I hope you like this quick hitter podcast. And thanks, Doug, for emailing me and telling me like, hey, here's some topics for you. If you have topics for that you want to hear on the podcast, send them over. Send them over to Kyle at dirtbikechannel.com or send them to customer service at dirtbikechannel.com. Hopefully, I'll be hiring an assistant, like a virtual assistant here really soon. I'm in the process, started the process. I Basically, I hired a company, a headhunter, to go out there and help me to find an assistant because I need help. I need to be able to offload things. I need to be able to offload some of these administrative tasks and emails and stuff to somebody who's organized and whatever. Um, if you're listening to this, check your email. If I sent, I sent you an email a little bit ago saying, hey, do you want to work with me? Here's how you apply. Um, because I, I can't take any of those applications. I've hired a company to help me look for this person. And hopefully it'll be super awesome. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast today on a Saturday afternoon, you've already had my email from a few days ago saying, hey, go here to apply. Um, anyway, but I, I didn't say that to try to get you to say, hey, you need to go apply for this because I'm already kind of down the 
we're down the rabbit hole on that, still taking applications, but I hope that it really does help to free up my time to focus on some other things and, and to just do more content creation. I think that's one of the things I've realized in the last couple of weeks is I'm getting ready for kind of a big family trip that we're doing. And so I'm, I'm putting a bunch of stuff in the can so it'll come out over the next few weeks. And I've been happier because I've been focused on just, hey, I want to do some content creation. And I think that's where I really want to put my time is just being creative and and making videos, making things like that that I can be proud of. Uh, playing with cameras because cameras were my first love, you know, cameras. And I like the video editing side of it. A lot of times I don't do a ton of right, really crazy things, but it's fun. So anyway, that's what I have for you guys. Please use my links to Rocky Mountain ATV. You can get those links from my email. Um, you can get those links at my website, dirtbikechannel.com and make sure you go over there to get entered to win the three motorcycles I'm giving away. I'm constantly doing these Dirt Bike Channel sweepstakes so you can get these motorcycles. So, okay, that's what I have for you guys. Hopefully you have a great weekend and leave a single track. Thanks.